What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. What's up, everyone? Ryan Kramer with Crossover Commerce. Thanks for joining us again today on another live episode. Uh, Happy Monday for everyone who's in the East Coast. Uh, I have a new setup today, so I'm just playing around with a couple different things. So thanks for joining us today. We are action-packed this week. We're going to be going live five times this week. That's Monday, that's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. For all you people who are counting out there, that's five. Uh, I'm really excited about this week because we're going to touch on a lot of different topics from both sellers and service providers. So it's really exciting to kick this one off today with uh, Yoni Kozminski of Escala and uh, Multiply Me. Uh, just a little bit about Yoni before we kick off. Again, if you're watching this live and this is your first time, go ahead and let us know that you're watching us today. Go ahead and comment or like and share, obviously, this stream um, in social media. We're going live on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And then also go ahead and just let us know where you're listening from. Any questions that come up during the show, go ahead and ask those as well. If you happen to also be listening to this at a later time, again, on Amazon, Apple, uh, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or actually anywhere where you listen to your podcast, go ahead and download that and rank us um, for the show. Just search Crossover Commerce buy ping pong payments, and then uh, go ahead and let us know what you like, what you don't like, and then who you might want to see in the future. We're all ears. Uh, We're really excited about February uh, kicking off this month. We're already packed full of episodes. Every single day is going to have somebody, so we're really excited about that. But kicking off our guest today, he spent most of his career to date, and that's his 10 years prior to Amazon in Escala and Multiply Me, in digital marketing and creative advertising on Australia, Los Angeles, and Tel Aviv, developing a digital strategy for the likes and brands of Mercedes-Benz, MasterCard, Sony, uh, Medtronic, Diabetes, uh, a couple other eight-figure e- and other e-commerce brands, eight-figure e-commerce brands, excuse me, I can't read this morning. Uh, in the 2018, he actually entered the Amazon space, successfully scaling an Amazon business from $2 million to $5 million in approximately 12 months. And for those of you who don't know if that's a big deal, it's a big deal. Um, he was utilized, he utilized his experience in the digital agency to land and build fluid processes and a team of incredibly talented individuals in the Philippines that would have cost him six to seven figures, which again, led to his future development of Escala and Multiply Me. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So without further ado, uh, Yonika Zeminski of Escala and Multiply Me, welcome to the show today. Wow, Ryan, uh, firstly, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. But before I jump in, mate, that intro music, I am like G'd up, ready to go. That That is... I get psyched up every time I hear it. And uh, quite honestly, it's like, I, I'm like sleepy. Like, I mean, it's not it's not really where I'm at. It's 11 o'clock. So but I'm drinking my coffee and I hear that. I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's talk e-commerce. Like, it's like a sporting event when I was in sports. I was like, I had to get myself jacked up and ready to go so i'm ready to talk today mate i am i, I was you know <laughs> i was slow there for a second i heard that i'm like let's go let's go baby it's what you got to do for a live session for everyone who's like listening live uh yeah we we do this live uh i don't edit this on youtube or anywhere else this is the unraw this is the raw unedited version of what you get to hear from uh successful people in the amazon space so yeah how was your how was your weekend first and foremost was it good busy i'm assuming all the above 
Yeah, yeah, it was great. I actually, I, I make a rule to switch off on a Saturday and spend time with uh, with the missus and the dog, and yeah, had a had a pretty restful weekend. But absolutely ready to go for another week. How about yourself, absolutely. mate? Yeah, uh, it snowed here a lot. Uh, for those of you who don't know where I'm at, I'm actually in the Midwest. I'm in Indiana, so it snows quite often, uh, but made a snowman, so that was pretty fun. But it's cold, and I'm lucky to be inside with the heat full blast, so it's not yeah. bad. Nice. <laughs> Go yeah. Hoosiers. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we have IU and then, yeah, Purdue, and then there's a couple other universities. I didn't go to either one of those, so that's okay. I went to a smaller university, though. But uh, anyways, you we were, you were talking about, like, obviously switching on. That kind of alludes to what we're going to be talking about later, so that's pretty exciting. Um, but for those of you – but for those who are watching and maybe not understand, like, who you are, where you come from, and maybe the businesses that you run and operate, let's give a quick background on – Scala and multiply me and then maybe kick it from there. For sure. So um, as you mentioned, Ryan, like my career up until this point was very much in the digital e-commerce and agency landscape. So I've always kind of grown up in smaller agencies with enterprise clients. So I've always seen the world as to what it looks like to be an enterprise client uh, in, a, in a large scale business with the likes of businesses that are probably between about 10 to 40 people deep. So when I stumbled upon Amazon, and, and in all honesty, I came in saying, "Hey, let's turn this into a um, let's turn this into a big e-commerce brand." Uh, I would say it was probably two days in when they started showing me what the conversion rates look like on Amazon. Where I said, "Geez, it's going to take me two to three years to build anything of any sort of velocity or magnitude." So that was really what got me hooked was just understanding how uh, Amazon as it compares to e-commerce is more so in its infancy. And so there is a lot of opportunity to really push the boundaries. And you know that's what I did inside of that Amazon business that I helped scale from, from two to five million that was ultimately sold to one of the big boys in the space uh, later on. So really that experience led me to multiply me and Escala. And what we do or, or who we service is everyone who is in the e-commerce and Amazon space, our objective is to help businesses scale through talent. So Escala is, uh, well, Multiply Me first started, and that is effectively what we built at a, as a baseline inside of the Amazon business, where we built an agency and we understood how quickly we could find top talent, onboard them, and build up that system. So now what we do in Multiply Me is we're an end-to-end -end executive search and HR function, where we specialize in roles like inventory management and logistics, supply chain, operations managers, Amazon PPC specialists, keyword researchers, roles that are all around that space um, to support the Amazon community. And Escala is our consulting practice where we have a team of XEY and Accenture consultants also out of the Philippines where what we're looking at there is working with, I would say, not, not well, some of the bigger stores, but also even ones that are doing, let's say, a million plus uh, in helping them build out their operational infrastructure. So understanding their process maps and the workflows, reducing bottlenecks and drag, and effectively helping them build their org strategy and structure so that they can scale rather than just grow. And just to kind of highlight the difference, a lot of people, especially when we talk about Amazon and e-commerce, they'll, they'll jump in and they'll throw a lot of money at the problem where when we talk Amazon, we talk e-commerce, margins are such a critical path or a critical part of what needs to be uh, attributed to, to what's happening inside of the business. So if you're just throwing people and money at the problem, 
you might be growing, but you're not scaling. You're not becoming more profitable. You're not actually impacting the bottom line and having uh, what I would guess most people are in commercial business for, and that's to uh, <laughs> that's to work less hours and you know make more money. Yeah, and that that's an interesting point because you've worked with multi-billion-dollar brands, but then also you're you're turning to now smaller e-commerce sellers, but maybe growing obviously, and they want to figure out how to do that. What what's what are the correlations between the two that you can pull from your experience and how you're educating people and saying, hey, listen, this is the same problem that billion-dollar interest industries are having and entities are having but let's be smarter about this so you don't have to run into their problem because if you over hire that's obviously a problem but if you under hire like you said it's it's really difficult to scale yourself and walk away from a business where if they got into amazon for the in the first place for you know just to free themselves from a nine to five job but then they're creating another nine to five job for themselves what are those correlations that you have to educate people on yeah, great question. Before I go into that, Matt, I got to tell you that tripped me out so much when you slid the screen across and I'm looking at myself. Give me some warning, buddy. I'm sitting there just uh, looking there. at myself. This is this is yeah. Well, this is me uh, self-producing going on. Uh, a lot of people who don't not yeah. There's technology in general. I see all the fun stuff on my end when you don't when you're on the receiving end. It's a little trippy, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I, I can always tell when I'm gonna sli- when I slide in. That's always for if I'm gonna ask a question or anything like that. And I'm listening in the background. I'm just giving you the spotlight. It's not about me. It's always about my guests. <laughs> well, that, no, no, this is amazing, really. This is production value to the to the max. It's uh, a one-man show to the max, exactly. So look at that. I even got what's going on on the bottom. So <laughs> oh, wow. let's go. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got up my game. All right, so to answer your question um, and, and what I sort of draw on from it is, you know, what are we looking at some of these multinational billion dollar companies and how does that really apply to Amazon sellers in the space and how can they look at that sort of logic into, you know, whether they want to get to that stage or not, it's sort of irrelevant. I think that um, the correlations are that for everyone in, in commerce, in business, the reality is our objective is to, you know, for most people, they might be defined by their business, but if they're not, they want to find a way to create either passive income or enable themselves to to live a better life and to uh, achieve more. And so I think one of the things that we've done in the business inside of Escala is that we took a lot of EY's kind of high-level methodology and realized that for businesses at the size that we're dealing with, it's not so relevant. We don't need to go to this high-level jargon of, you know, what 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 the business is going to look like with so many different layers of reporting structure and the strategy around that. So what we've done is we took that methodology, we removed a lot of aspects that were sort of redundant for businesses that are going to have between, you know, I'd say as little as two, two team members and up to at the higher end, we're dealing with businesses that are probably about 100, 120 um, at the moment. And so... We took uh, our learnings as well from an incredible book called Traction, um, which Traction EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. If anyone hasn't read it and is listening, um, Gina Wickman wrote a book that gives you a playbook of the 20 tool, like it's a toolkit on how to run business operation better. So we actually take a fair bit of our methodology in simplifying what it is you actually need to run a business at a smaller size and, and running it efficiently. So... I think what the large, to really answer your question now, what the large businesses do great is that they don't have heavy reliance on any one key individual in the business. They are looking to, not for the, not because they want to let people go, 
but for the fact that, you know, lots of people depend on these large corporations in terms of their livelihood. And if there's a single linchpin, if there's one person who holds all of the keys and if they go, then the whole business falls down. That's not really a scalable or sustainable business. So what they're always doing is they're documenting and defining every aspect of what's going on in the business. And you get these long-winded corporate structures where you have to go to legal and from legal, you go to accounts and then from accounts, you're dealing with finance and then the marketing team's not talking to sales. And granted, for some people, that's going to be at the higher end and it's you know it's, it's, it becomes a bigger business. But I think what they're doing at their core is they're defining what's happening in the business they're defining what the accountabilities and responsibilities are for the personnel, okay, whether it's a department or it's a key person. They're letting them know exactly what's expected. They're building things like KPIs and setting the roadmap so that not only them as the business understand what it is they're trying to achieve, but also the employee that they bring on. So that um, can I swear on this? Is that is that is that allowed? Yeah, go ahead. Because my favorite, I'm not, I'm not, it, it, I, I mark it as not not suitable for children on YouTube. So you, YouTube, if you're watching, well, I, I, I give it a forewarning. <laughs> I, I guess it's just because my one of my favorite quotes is tied into this, and, and my it's favorite a quote. So yeah, let's go. Yeah. Go so so assumptions are the mother of all fuck ups, and so what these businesses do is they find a way to reduce the ability to create assumptions and they take the perception away from the key individual and they commit it to paper so that everyone is you know guided within a size or a specific parameters of their business function and they can really deliver so i think that that's really um when you take the higher level larger businesses and where a lot of the smaller sellers and smaller businesses sit in, in the e-commerce space is that you'll ask a lot of them you know what's happening in the business and they all have it all figured out but if they were to step away from their business, you know, for a week, two weeks, uh, realistically, it's more like one day, things fall apart. So it's us helping them. And, and one bit of advice I'd say is, is find a way to remove yourself from being so deep with inside your business so that you can be focused on the things that are important rather than looking at the things that are just urgent. Absolutely. That, I mean, that, that that's interesting insight. And, and again, for People who are watching, we're going to just quickly say hello. Look at this. More production value. Hi from everyone from uh, India and again from Delhi. We have a couple other people who are, uh, you know, a couple of West Bengal. Look at that. We we got we got all of eight, uh, Asia kind of listening today. I guess it's that time of Nate. Uh, but we did kind of have a question. Uh, can you give guidance for work from home top job recruitment? That's a good question. Uh, I think that would be something that scaling a business in terms of like work from home. I think that would be a little bit more difficult if you can't meet people in this kind of era. How how are you guys as an entity? Has this always been the case for you, or is this something that you've had to adapt and and grow as businesses grew from home? I mean, for us, we were always built on a remote uh, on a remote functionality as a as a business. Like the only thing uh, I joke about it, but the only thing that changed for us as a business when COVID struck was that. I mean, other than people being a little bit more frugal and not knowing kind of or being ready to to invest into a new opportunity. But um, Mondays, we always have a coffee break where everyone talks about their weekend and pretty quickly that turned to sour grapes. So we started, we actually still to this day play a game where we have a game master every week and we, we've we adapted. Um, so that was really the, the, the one different thing. And just to give you anyone listening, anyone who's suffering through listening to me talk uh we've gone from from four people in january of last year to about 130 uh full-time on payroll today so 
you know, we've definitely found a way to establish a culture entirely remotely where no one sits in the same office. And I think that there's something to be said about that. But that's also not answering the question <laughs> that was asked. And and I think if I'm understanding the question correctly, it's, yeah, um, that's different. <laughs> um, oh, look at that. More questions are flying through. Give okay. some guidance for work from home, top job recruitment. So if I'm understanding correctly, it could either be that they're looking for guidance on some of the roles that are that are very hot right now, or it's how do I go about finding a job working from home remotely? Um, I would say uh, if it's the latter and we're trying to help someone find a role or find an opportunity, my approach was always, um, you know, as cliche it'll sound, it, it, it is to think differently. Like when I look at uh, when I look at anything that relates to something that's uh, like everyone's sending in resumes, right? Like until you get over that hurdle of a resume, you're just a piece, piece of paper. I think as well, when we're talking the topic of, of resumes and something that having a recruitment business, um, you know, also ladders up to is a lot of people will put down the things that they can do like Shopify, WordPress, uh, you know, I'm going to go with coding, copywriting, you know, any, they'll define what they can do. But I think, you know, as as someone who is trying to get to the crux of well, what, how can this person impact my business? I think that a, a really smart way to split up your resumes to talk about what you can do. So if you're a .NET developer and you are a Shopify developer and all those things, really important, but also talk about what you achieved in your role in the company. What did you actually help them achieve? And so that's how I always like to advise people to break it down so that people can understand right. They could deliver on these things, and this was the impact it had to business. Because anyone who's looking to employ someone, they're always looking at what can, what is their output going to be? Can I leverage their output to have a bigger impact on whatever it is that their vision is around the role, the function, the business? So that would be the first bit of advice: is to really kind of have a resume that that's that's um, that sticks. Um, but I think that it's even hard to get um, to get your resume seen. So. What I've seen, and I think it's really creative and clever, I haven't seen a lot of it, if I'm honest. Um, I, I, in the last job that I ever applied for back in, I think it was 2000, 2014, um, I actually created an animated video. I worked in creative advertising, so that was my shtick, right? I created an animated video where I did voice talk over. Maybe that's a little far, but I would say just a video, right? Uh, or anything that will help you record yourself and get a sense of who, who's the person that I'm going to employ. You know, you're working from home. At the end of the day, if you're sitting there and it's just kind of chat via computer, having the ability to create and kind of humanize the individual and the human that you may or may not be working with, I think that that, A, is going to show a sign of initiative and, B, um, it's a way to, to look different. If I, You know, if someone sends me a Loom video and I get a lot of LinkedIn, you know, in-mails as everyone does these days, just having something that's bespoke, that's got directed at me, and that's a physical uh, piece of content that's a person talking to me, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it ten times out of ten. Awesome, yeah. And uh, we had someone actually comment on uh, it was Josh Porter said Yoni gives some of the most solid advice for businesses, small or large. Show look at that personal referendum from uh, Josh Porter. So thanks for commenting and watching, Josh. Um, for those who are also watching. They're, they're trying to figure out infrastructure. And if I'm an Amazon seller, this is my, when we were talking about this, you and I, Yoni, we, I was trying to walk through myself of, if I'm a business scaling and I'm doing all this myself and there's so much 
so, so many different things I can do. There's obviously uh, advertising, there's more logistics, there's more just sourcing payments, all this kind of stuff. How do you as a business walk people through before they like jump off a cliff and say, Hey, I don't know even where to start. What, what's that process like? And maybe you can provide like two or three tips that we can kind of walk through and say, listen, this is where you need to focus on first and kind of like grow from there. And then once you get more complex, that's when, you know, businesses like yourself can kind of, and kind of like draw these maps and these roadmaps for people to get there. So can you walk us through for those people who are maybe struggling where to even start? Great, great question, Ryan, but I can't go any further without saying, get on my boy, uh, Josh Porter, right? He's, uh, he's doing some great stuff in the, uh, uh, in the chatbot space. So if you're looking for guys uh, like him, he's, he's seriously, he's a fantastic operator. So thanks for the kind words, my friend. Um, but to answer your question, um, I, what I like to do as well, and we get this a lot, particularly inside of Multiply Me, um, you know, when we talk about the two businesses, Multiply Me and Escala, Multiply, uh, Escala is kind of high level people who are aggressively looking to grow their e-commerce and Amazon and SaaS solution operations. And they're really trying to get to a position where uh, they're trying to build the future state and reduce their bottlenecks. And it, it, it's sort of a higher level clientele, not because of the price point, more so from the uh, desire of where they want to get to. But when I talk about multiply me, it's a little bit more general. Everyone's looking to outsource. It's definitely the thing to do. And a lot of people struggle to understand, well, you know, a, a prime example and something that I've actually probably had a conversation with three or four people last week is, you know, do I need an account manager or do I need a project manager? And people will define roles and we throw titles and there's literally, there's a new C-level title that comes up every other day. I'm like, how? And, and I think like before... before What's the weirdest one that you've heard? Look, hurry, let's, let's take a quick... I've heard... I've heard not terrible chief growth officer, which is actually really cool. I like that title, but I think that's very vague. Um, chief chief idea officer is another weird one that I've heard, <laughs> heard of. Yeah, up, but yeah. Hey, like whatever works for people. What, what, what for me, Yoni has been I'll the weirdest. You, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one that I didn't I didn't like because it's just it feels very inauthentic to me. Is a CPO chief profit profit officer. <laughs> <laughs> that one yeah i was like come on guys like at, le at least be at least when you're talking about growth right you you can at least be somewhat authentic with your position there when it's your profit officer Jeez. i mean it's literally yeah so yeah pretty shitty um but yeah i mean there's a new one every week but to answer your question so people people ask me a whole lot of questions about you know who should i hire who should who should i come in i i, I don't know where to start and there's like a little anecdotal, I mean, I would call it a game. I don't know if anyone would find this fun necessarily. But, you know, if you look at your, you know, like even for you, Ryan, we could do it live. Like, you know, you're sitting here and I've been blown away at the production value of what one man can do live on screen. I mean, this is wild. That's um, what um, so you, you should write to my boss and say the production value that one person does and all the content. Look at us. Look at this talk back and forth that we're reaching thousands of people at one time and it's all me from my computer home or a computer at home <laughs> i mean this is this is this is amazing like you've you've made me really reconsider what the launch you know i've just recorded 10 episodes of my podcast that i'm bringing out next in a couple of weeks and like 
I can talk to you offline about this more and more. So it, it's a it's a fun to, tool to use for sure. It's unbelievable. But um, <laughs> for you, for you, right? I mean, you've clearly crushed what it is to produce live content. You're banging this out right now, and so that's you know that's in your wheelhouse. That would be something that you uniquely are positioned, and there's not going to be many people inside of ping pong that can come in and do what you're doing right now. So what I say to people is, if you looked at every task and responsibility and just everything that you do in in a week if you rank them from a five being something that needs to be authentically you and has to be your delivery then that's a five so you recording these podcasts would be a five um but things like a one where it doesn't necessarily need to be you at all you know three might be consulted and still be inside four is sort of moving away but the idea is how do we move the ones and twos straight away off the plate? So that might look like for you making assumptions here. Once this is uploaded in live, you know, you might need to recut this for, you know, uh, Apple Music and you might need to recut this for something else. I don't know how good uh, Steamyard is. It's been pretty amazing. But, um, you know, there, there are things inside of this. You know, prime example, you asked me beforehand for, um, for our logo and for a headshot of me, you know, something like that might not need to be you. You know, you could have someone delivering that work because the work that you do and the real value creation here is your ability to find the right guests to interview and to have these conversations with them. So I guess the the long-winded answer is looking at the breakdown of your day, really starting to actually acknowledge and understand where your time is going and then starting to delegate the things that are one and two that don't necessarily need to be you. And over time, gradually, you'll start to find a way, A, to build roles into those ones and twos, and and B, you'll start to get better at the things that you're already good at. Absolutely. And we, uh, I have a question for the audience. Again, if you're watching this, what's the craziest C-level title that you've ever heard of or seen? We already have a self-submission from Josh Porter saying, Chief Meme Officer, courtesy of the current stock market. Oh, boy. <laughs> We don't have enough time to go into all that to unfold all of those kinds of uh, <laughs> topics you, and whatnot. But <laughs> GameStop, you don't want to talk about it? Did you? Did oh, we, you did, I mean, we we, we can. <laughs> I didn't. Th- I mean, we could possibly do that. I was trying to explain this actually to uh, my wife last night. We were just kind of like going through, and we're like, we're not even sure like how this was possible, it being possible. And I'm still kind of like educating myself. Maybe like taking a quick departure. You you've been in kind of worked in financial sectors too right like work with companies that have also like mercedes-benz and stuff like that but you've had to like yield to certain standards and whatnot that are openly traded companies what's what's your take on that if you mind me asking i mean i i'm not the i'm definitely not the right person to answer the question in any sort of uh full does it make sense to you what's happening in the first place well, actually, I was listening on Clubhouse. It was this morning, my time, and Elon Musk was talking and he broke Clubhouse. I saw that. You see that? Um, well, so- I was on it, but I saw I saw that he was going to appear. He was with the C, the founder of Robinhood as well, right? Exactly. So the CEO of Robinhood was breaking down like what actually happened. And I've got to be honest, I wasn't totally following along. But what, what I kind of took from it is that there was uh, a moment in time where about $3 billion of investment was to be put through. It was like 3 a.m. Eastern time. And 
until that point, they'd only done about $2 billion worth of trades in the history of the of the business. So, you know, it's already that was kind of red flags and they were going with the, I mean, they're, they're, they're regulated. They have to go back and forth with the powers that be and it was taken down to $1.4 billion. Anyway, long story short, I'm not the, I'm not the right guy to answer that question. I'm going to give you pretty shitty information about it. What I, what I will say is though, like from what I did understand, it sounded to me like uh, a lot of the, a lot of the kind of the Wall Street hedge fund guys have had done to them what they typically are looking to do in 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 winning the market, and they've just been swindled by you know the the Reddit guys, and as a result, we see this whole shitstorm of what's unfolding here. And yeah, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a day trader. I'm not someone who invests in stocks or crypto, so. I'm probably a little bit too far removed to to sound too intelligent or about it, but it's pretty crazy. Yeah, and, and maybe if if you understand this too, we'd love to hear from our audience or someone who can break this down too. We can even potentially even invite you on live. Uh, we could talk about it, but we're just two guys talking about from a holistic standpoint because on Friday um, I had a guest, uh, Barkus Patty from Helium Ten, and we were watching just the trends and in term and he said something super interesting of don't just look at the morality of it like hey a group of people can get together and really just like screw with financial sectors or businesses in general i think the one thing he and took away and i took away was the power of community whether it's on social media it's on uh reddit in this case or on discord or on you know just in general you see social media tap into this voice of a lot of people who can get on the same page and I think it's super interesting that you can get as you can be as powerful as taking a failing business for every sense of a word of that the definition of failing when they filed for bankruptcy, if I'm not mistaken, that week or the week before or something very similar. And then you go around and make it an S&P 500 company where it's at a table of very profitable companies. It, it, it's just like elevated and inflated a company that's not successful. And like, how does that make sense to people who are investing? Is that if they have like wide ripple effects to people who are just investing to for retirement? Those are all the questions that we were just like hypothetically ta- asking ourselves last time. My wife and I, as we were watching uh, Saturday Night Live, believe it or not, because they were spiffing on it and spoofing it too. So uh, it, it's just a weird, weird time to be in. And I don't know what to take from it, honestly. it's It seems random, but then also it seems like people are focused on it to make money in, in ways that it doesn't seem most often natural for business. Maybe that's my take on it. So anyways, if you have a comment on it, go ahead and submit that through and we'll, we'll take a look at it for sure. Uh, we actually have another question from Tin Rudman. Are smaller players uh, still able to enter start selling on Amazon? And then the letter A. I think he was going to answer something else, but he accidentally submitted that. But if Tim, you have other information for that, go ahead and submit that through. Yoni, you do sell or do you still, do you not sell? You, you just like help people. Yeah, so so I'm no longer a, a current seller, but all of our clients are, or most of our clients are active sellers. And I would say that it is absolutely still viable to be, um, to start selling on Amazon. Like this age hasn't moved past. Um, what I'd say though, is that I would say the stakes in getting in are probably going to be a little higher and we're in an age where things are becoming a little bit more sophisticated. You know, there's a lot of new money coming into the space and, you know, I guess I would define us in the moment in time where we're in the age of the professionalization of Amazon businesses in the e-commerce space. So 
I don't think it's too late, especially if you've got a great product idea and you're doing the work in terms of keyword research, understanding what value, and it should always be about value creation. What is my product uniquely doing different to help support a problem that exists in market or how can I fix something that is already that you know is already in market but not potentially perfect? Um, it's not too late to start selling. I'll just say that make sure that you're consulting with the right people before you step into it so you understand all of, all that goes into it because it's not um, it's definitely not something where you just start selling on Amazon and you've got this you know six or seven figure as people love to throw out those terms businesses that are going to be a passive income um, it's it, it is a lot of work and you do need to have a good insight into what you're doing but um, definitely, Definitely plenty of time left in the game if you've got something to sell that people are going to want to buy. Absolutely. And I would say to Tim as well, thanks for listening to him uh, live. If you have, uh, I think he might have another question, but in that, uh, he did a follow-up question. And let's look at it together and maybe I'll add in my, my two cents. Are smaller players still able to make it on Amazon? Amazon still seem to squeeze the little guys out. Sorry, clicked <laughs> sent too early. Look at that. We, we, we saw you coming. It's all, it's all good, Tim. Uh, thanks for submitting that question. Um, maybe I can add on top of Yoni. I think there is definitely opportunity in .com and as an international company for as ping pong is, there's opportunity, not just on .com, but there's also other places in other marketplaces that are, you know, are emerging. I would say, uh, I think a lot of people start on .com because I think recently Amazon.com had roughly 3 billion monthly unique, uh, visitors a month, but apart from that, there's also, if you're not just talking about .com, there's other marketplaces that are, are out there. And I mean by that is um, right behind that, I would say about half the traffic is in Germany. So .de and then also uh, the UK. So Amazon.uk. So those are also markets that are kind of the two thirds that are driving the most traffic for Amazon in Europe and sellers in Europe. What a lot of people don't also understand is that technology is just catching up around the world and what sellers are used to in terms of culturally and um, technology wise, they're catching up on these marketplaces. There's places like in Japan where Amazon exists and that's where Amazon's third biggest marketplace is, but you have competing marketplaces like Rakuten. Um, you have other ones like Mercado Libre in Mexico. And when Amazon starts to roll out on these other marketplaces, I believe it's the numbers 18. It's only in 18 different countries around the world. If you start to open up and become a viable marketplaces in, you know, uh, India, like full fledged India selling and from the outside going in um, and you have a unique product, there's always opportunity where people are. United States is not the biggest marketplace. We just spend a lot of money. And that's kind of a ridiculous statement and sentiment, but it's, it's true. Um, so there's always going to be opportunity, like Yoni said. Um, you just have to find the right micro niche to kind of fit and then derive from that. So it's a very hypothetical question, but thanks for submitting that. And that's a those are kind of like other opportunities, like you said, other marketplaces, other platforms as well. And then building your own brand. I think you're going to see a lot of people uh, start on Amazon and build their brand on it and then derive from their own kind of uh, their own brand offline. And I say that like on uh Shopify or other sort of branded sites as well. Yeah, uh, I, I, and I'd say right. just, just a few things to consider there as well, like make sure that there's going to be enough uh, profit margin in the products that you're selling um, because that's where, you know, 
You're going to get the squeeze when it comes to Amazon because you have to invest in PPC. You're going to have to obviously pay the 15% um, that the Amazon takes plus uh, fulfillment and, you know, make sure that you're aware of your inventory levels. You know, you don't want to pay uh, you don't want to pay for stock just sitting around inside of in, uh, you know Amazon's warehouse, and there's a whole lot of things that you should really consider um, before you jump into it. But I would say as well, like also things that uh, might help when when you're starting out is having a patent against whatever the product is that you bring to market creates any anything that you can do to disrupt the ease of someone just copying your product. Because you know, let's face it, um, if you're sitting if you're sitting in China, it's going to be very easy to simply replicate a product that doesn't have any sort of uh, pattern or anything attached to it that's going to stop people from copying that exact design. And before you know it, it's a price war to the bottom and you're never going to be able to compete. So just be wary of those niches that you go to step into and make sure that you have some uh, point of difference that's going to be hard to copy that's going to allow you to kind of retain your position in market. Yeah, we actually talked about that last Monday with Rich Goldstein. Um, if you guys are curious about more information on that, it's a fantastic topic we got to listen to. Rich is uh, big on Clubhouse. He's big on <clears throat> a lot of the e-commerce space in terms of copyright and patents, uh, especially in the United States. If you're selling in the United States, uh, it's not cheap to get into it, but it can obviously protect you in the long run. And if your goal in the long term is to eventually sell your business with some of these roll-up companies, that's obviously... Um, a value add for your business, but also protect you as a seller. So if you go on YouTube um, and search for Rich Goldstein last Monday, we actually uh, went live with him and asked him all sorts of questions regarding that topic. So um, thanks for that input, Yoni. When, um, when we're talking about time, I, I would say you as a company are a time-saving company and a money-saving company. What are some of the best time-saving techniques? Because we only have so many hours in a day as individuals. And when you're scaling your business and you're building your infrastructure, trying to avoid burnout as long as possible is key. What are some of the time-saving techniques that you and your team are asking or implementing in your systems to help people um, grow and scale efficiently so they're not getting you know, burnt out and quitting Amazon altogether? Yeah, um, I've got a few that are kind of like my personal little tips that I do for myself. But when we talk about, you know, at the high level company, like inside of Escala, what we do is beyond just documenting the processes that exist in the company today to, you know, the very granular details as to what's the handoff moment, what piece of technology is being used. You know, we're looking at all of the impact to time and transition and we're documenting all that out and we're finding ways to reduce it and to maximize the output of personnel without burning them out so we also make recommendations on the right technologies to use you know we'll integrate things into ClickUp, for example so that people have a very fluid system but when we talk about really um creating time saving ability uh for you know for your business and where you sit i think that the fundamental rule is always going to be how do i make this a replicable and very easy to understand process so that I never have to go in and teach anyone this again. So, I, you know, I used my favorite quote before, but the the briefing process, right, detailing and documenting every stage of that equation of what's happening in the business so that, you know, we, we've helped companies, for example, where they the CEO would have to step in and teach customer support for two weeks every time that they would onboard a new, uh, new person into the customer support function, which... 
in my opinion, is probably the biggest waste of time that you could ever have your CEO doing is sitting there and educating someone. Okay, if you want to have your finger on the pulse and you would do a bit of customer support to really understand what's happening, that's one thing. But to have to educate them each time someone new comes in, it doesn't make sense to me. So uh, what we did was we documented out that whole process. We built all the standard operating procedures all the way through to the video documentation. And this is also something that you can apply at home is, is documenting it out creating the training materials to allow for it and never having to repeat the same thing over and over as you onboard new staff is going to create enormous time savings. Like I, I mean, I, I'm not even involved in our onboarding process. There's, I don't know how proud of this I, I, I am, but there's, uh, you know, there's people in the company that I don't really know today. Um, and that's just because we're so fluid in, you know, we have our core values. Everyone understands what they're signing up for, what we're trying to achieve, how we're trying to create fair paying jobs in the Philippines and we pay healthcare and social security, HMO, PhilHealth 13th month. We do all the things that are really, um, you know, in our DNA as a business, it's very purpose-driven. Um, that's that's documented through. So I would say that um, having that clear uh, process mapped out and allowing people to simply go through the stages is where it's really going to have the most impact in removing yourself from working so deep with inside the business and for creating time-saving abilities. And then I'd also kind of close out with saying that um, leverage technology. If you can find a way to remove uh, people from doing particularly, you know, elements of the job that don't really need people or any form of intelligence to deliver, do it. Like we transitioned to HubSpot, for example. We built out a whole process map on each stage and every mechanism and we seamlessly integrated it and it was um i won't say the other platform we moved from but it was you know it's pretty seamless so there's that and then from a personal level um i like to task batch so we can all get like very distracted with all the emails and notifications and things that happen i will turn off uh notifications and emails and anything that's going on and i'll do deep work for you know periodically through the day on I mean, my work week is Sunday to Sunday to Thursday, really, and Sunday is all deep work where I don't I don't get bothered. So I don't know. Hopefully, there's some valuable nuggets in there for you, my friend. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I, I definitely uh, think that those are you have to set limitations, and I think for any business, if especially in a work from home environment, uh, as an Amazon seller, I know you can get kind of overwhelmed with the amount of information you have to decipher um, as you're continuing to educate. You're constantly trying to make sure operations and procedures are following through, but then also making sure that you take time away from that. Um, do you have maybe before we're coming up in the top of there again, anyone who's watching this live on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook, go ahead and comment any questions or thoughts, uh, or just want to say, hi, feel free to send those comments and then like this and share with your colleagues later as well. If you don't have enough time to listen to this all currently, um, it will be on live on, it will be, still on YouTube as well under ping pong payments. Just search that. Um, maybe what's a success uh, story in your eyes, Yoni, that they just had such a, a big problem. This business that you guys helped out had such a terrible foundation that they laid out without lack of, you know, of trying that you guys had to come in and you maybe were super successful in terms of helping them grow both financially and then as an organization. Yeah, so I would say that, um, I mean, all of our projects are inside of Escala is is all about how do we save money for businesses and how do we help them educate them on 
where is the most or what is the most effective way to spend it wisely to create more value and you know create more jobs and whatever kind of the future of the business looks like so i would say that uh, on many occasions now we'll come in and as part of our kind of how we work the first stage is always the assessment phase where we'll interview we'll ask for access we'll ask to we'll shadow We'll, we'll really get into the depths of what's happening inside of their business to get a, a firm understanding of what's happening. And I would say in probably no less than five engagements, we have effectively saved that company more money than the project cost in the first place. So in the how we work is midway through, we'll have a steering committee and we'll say these are our assessments. Are we on the right track? Is this what you want to see? And, you know, we kind of get steered in the right direction. But in, in, a, in seriously, no less than five times, we've come in and we've identified losses ranging from, you know, probably $10,000 and up to $50,000 in, in businesses. So before we've even delivered the work that we're looking to deliver, we've already made it worth their while in investing in us as a solution. So it's been, um, that's been pretty cool. What's uh, been a horror story from your perspective, like something bad happened uh, or that you saw something just like, just you know terrible and then that you guys were able to what maybe a horror story from your guys's perspective is there something <laughs> I was like say, i was, I was gonna, gonna say maybe, maybe let's go back this let's let's get more uh personable on this what is something that you maybe learned from but it was something that was so scary in its time that you find it super valuable um after the fact not probably during it when you were like gosh darn it like th this sucks like i i don't want to spend the time or effort or doing all this stuff or it was something where it was just like something broke and you, you had clients who were like what what's going on here what is something that you can maybe share uh from a personal perspective yeah so i, I can go in two directions here um the first is you know when you said personal uh experience both of them are personal experiences but um we, we have a maturity framework methodology on how we assess uh, businesses based on people, process, and technology, which together builds a system. And in, 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 inside of our business, I was the first person ever effectively assessed or audited to understand. This was kind of the, the, the inception of what Escala is today. And so still to this day, I have the lowest score out of any single person, company, function, business that we've ever assessed. I got a 1.3 out of 5 in the sales function of our business back in, in January of last year. Um, and, you know, you, I was sitting there and I was like, oh, shit, that's, you know, that's not good. But what it meant, uh, what it really means is it doesn't mean that you're bad at what you do. It just means that you're entirely central to the process. And if I didn't come back into the office or jump on the computer, um, then that entire function would have fallen down. And that's exactly what we want to help prevent is that it's not totally reliant. So it's still to this day. And I really hope a client never gets less than a 1.3. I've had uh, probably had one or two come close, but no one's gotten worse than me. So I'd like to be able to say that I was the worst because now I'm sitting at a 3.5 out of five and it's about constant improvement. So the learning there really was that um, from understanding how bad I was at it, we built an entire business solution to support companies just like us to to achieve the same thing we've built a you know we've really evolved that that offering and i would say in terms of uh something actually that led to the creation of multiply me was probably one of my bigger aha moments in life um when i was scaling that amazon business um you know i spent 10 years in 
creative advertising and digital marketing. And I know what a good developer looks like. I know what a good designer looks like, content creator, copywriter, videographer, photographer. You know, I've worked with some of the best talent, I, I would say, on the planet um, across Australia. You know, I did a stretch for three years in Los Angeles at an agency there. I've worked with, you know, Eastern Europe, India, Pakistan, and the works. And, you know, I know what good talent looks like. And I used to spend, I, I kid you not, 20 to 30 hours scouring every job board, every single business that exists, you know, every place where I could find candidates, LinkedIn, the works, to find talent to build that business. And I said, you know what? I'm not a recruiter. Uh, there is someone who is going to be much better at what this is than I am if I can just find them and I hired a recruiter. And when I brought on someone who had 10 years experience as a seasoned recruiter, I went from interviewing 20 to 30 hours a week to two to three. And that was kind of how it came to be that I realized that two out of three people that I would interview through my recruiter, I would hire. And so I found a way to really save a whole ton of time. So I would say like in terms of failure to success in both um in both cases, it's it's understanding where you're weak and finding a means to build it and make it strong. And that's literally at the core of both businesses is solving a problem that I couldn't fix by myself. And so finding someone that could solve that problem and then building it at scale has been probably two key learnings. Awesome. And I, and I know we're running up on time. So before we kind of cap this episode off, thank you again for sharing all that information. Before we kind of leave you for the day what if people have more questions about just building infrastructure or just like more questions about what we talked about today what are the kind of the best ways to get in touch with you or the team or you know find out more information about what you guys do as a company yeah for sure so you can check out either one of our websites um multiply me mii.com uh or we are escala.com uh, if you're listening live and you really want to get in touch with me, then you can have my email address. Uh, just uh, It's just yoni at multiplyme.com. So feel free, guys. If you're going to take the time to sit and listen to me rant on for 49 and a half minutes, then you deserve it. And we actually put all the information, all the uh, websites, all the contact information, even Yoni's uh, LinkedIn profile. They're in the comments in the sections below, again, on YouTube as well. They're going to be in the um, subcategory. So if you click down for more information, they're going to be down there with all the other nuggets of information, what we talked about today, as well as, you know, just resources in general. So we can, we're, we're improving on more of the production value, making sure that if we talk about a website, we're going to make sure we point to it there. But you find out more about Yoni and his contact information is there, but also the websites, Ascala and Multiply Me are also there. So go ahead and check that out on Ping Pong Payments YouTube video. This one, um, it's episode 48 already. Gosh darn. Already 48 episodes in from last year. I can't, I'm losing track, Yoni. If you're, you're a podcaster too, what, what, what's uh, the podcast that you're doing? as well yeah yeah so i i'm pre-recording i'm not as i'm not as flash as you mate going <laughs> live um i am launching it probably in the next two weeks i've recorded 10 episodes i want to bang out another 10 before i have a little bit of a cadence to deliver them but the podcast is called successful scales and it's talking to early stage employees and founders of businesses who have effectively scaled companies and really it's about anyone listening um it's the challenges that exist in what it is to grow a business. And so I'm interviewing, you know, people who have been there and done that. A, a lot of it for myself too, right? Like I've 
had to go on this really steep learning curve over the last year and a half. And so talking to more people who have done things and I can learn from and people listening at home can learn from, that's really the position. Awesome. Yeah, I will say going live and then uploading everything on a podcast is is definitely difficult. I think I've released only 10 episodes. And again, for everyone who's watching this will, or listening to this will know that we're on, if I say episode 48 or 49 right now, that there's only 10 audio versions out there. It takes time to download and then upload to another platform. So that being said, uh, that's really exciting. We'll have to look out. I'll make sure I give it a listen to when uh, those get released. So thank you so much, Yoni. You stick right there and then I'll catch up with you after we end our live. But for thank you so much. Again, friend of the show now, Yoni Kuzminski of uh, Multiply Meet and Scala. Thank you so much for today. Thank you very much for having me, my friend. It's been great. Yeah, absolutely. Hold right there. Uh, and everyone, again, watching or listening to this, uh, this is Crossover Commerce brought to you by Ping Pong Payments. We're a global cross-border payments company. My name is Ryan Kramer. I'm the host of this show. This is, again, episode 48 of Crossover Commerce. We go live and we do this unedited so that you as an audience can get the nuggets and information straight from the mouths of leaders in the space like Yoni Kuzminski. Um, we're going to be doing this every single day this week, which is pretty exciting that when we watch this and do this live, uh, you, the audience, can actually interact with us to kind of understand if you have questions right then and there, you can get them live and just hear from the mouth of those professionals. But again, if you don't have time to listen to this live, go ahead, save this, watch it later on YouTube or Facebook. And again, we also have our audio versions on Spotify, uh, Amazon Music, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, wherever you want to listen to these podcasts. I'm Ryan Kramer, again, host of this show, Crossover Commerce. Thanks for joining us live. Again, tomorrow, we're going to be covering multiple different topics. Tomorrow, we're actually going to be talking about seven-figure businesses exiting, grow, excuse me, let me start again. We're going to how they can grow, start, and scale their business to eventually exit as a seven-figure seller. That is uh, Kellyanne Fed. Fedio, I'm going to get that last name right, but it's Fredo. Kelly and yeah, Fredo. There you go. You don't even know. She's, she's awesome. <laughs> she's she's going to be hopping on from amazingexits.com. Tomorrow, we also just kind of give people uh, insight. Let me go through my list real quick. Uh, we are talking with David Nicolucci from, uh, and I'm just going to butcher last names today. That's what I do as a person of Growth Hack Consulting. We're talking about scaling um, and launching products. And then we're going to talk with Nate, uh, oh my gosh, there it is. Look at Nate from uh, Nate Ginsburg from Sellerplex, also talking about infrastructure and working with the team. And then we're actually going to be doing a seller spotlight um, with Christina from Crop Copy by Christina. She's a former flight attendant, and then obviously during the COVID era, she actually took a step back. She was uh, she was no longer needed, obviously, because travel was restricted. And then kind of grew a business to six and seven figures as well, also doing services uh, on the side in terms of copywriting. So super excited to get her perspective on her growing her business in 2020 and moving forward from that. But again, with all that being said, we appreciate everyone listening to this again live on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm Ron Kramer of Crossover Commerce. Thanks again for joining us on another episode. We'll catch you guys next time.